dismayed, confused, sad, mad, but resolute. These words could describe Ezra, Nehemiah, Malachi, or maybe each of us. God has given us the capacity to experience a wide range of emotions because life brings us that. There are ups and downs. And Ezra, Nehemiah, and Malachi were resolute to follow the call God placed on their lives. And my hope and prayer is that the people who comprise South Rock Christian Church will follow their examples and be resolute in the mission God has called us to. This morning, it's my hope and plan to weave the story, we're on week 21, together with our current situation and season as a church. We begin with Ezra. And if we took a quick survey, had we not been studying the story, how many of us would have spent time in Ezra? I would guess the answer would be pretty low. Mostly you don't hear people naming their child Ezra because he's this obscure man of God. But what we can know from God's word is that Aaron, the priest, the brother of Moses, was Ezra's great, 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 like 14 greats, grandpa. So he had a history in his family of being a man that sought to serve God. And at this point in history, the Jews are in captivity, and the king ruling over them, his name is Artaxerxes. At least that's how I pronounce it. When you come to a Bible name, just say it like you know it, and most everybody will go, yeah, that sounds pretty okay. So King Artaxerxes was in authority over the land, and he sent Ezra with his blessing to Jerusalem to teach the Word of God, and then an added level of cool is he gave him his visa gold. And he said, anything you need to support the ministry of your God, you have my checkbook. Wouldn't it kind of be cool to have a king's checkbook and do whatever seemed right? Now, we know Ezra was a man of integrity, so he was trusted And Ezra chapter 7 lays out a lot of these details, and in the interest of time, I won't read all of those words this morning, but I know if you're reading along with the story, you've probably already read it anyway, right? Maybe not. Chapter 7. So he sent to Jerusalem. Why in the world would you go back to Jerusalem? It was in ruins. The temple was there, but not much else. Well, he went back with a mission to proclaim God's word. And in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, it tells us this about Ezra. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Ezra was a man who savored the word of God. I've had three funerals three weeks in a row. I'm tired of funerals. I'm tired of death. God's plan wasn't death, and someday death will be done, and that's good news. But if someone was reading our tombstone, how powerful might it be if it said they devoted themselves to the study and the observance of the law of God? In Ezra 9 and 10, we see Ezra and the people of God weeping before God at their sin and purposing to seek Him, to walk in His ways, and to proclaim Him to an unbelieving world. 
That is an appropriate posture for God's people to weep at all of our sin. And as we weep, we repent and we turn away from sin and we turn towards God. Now, if you fast forward just a little bit, 13 years later, the Scripture tells us Nehemiah comes on the scene. And Nehemiah was living where King Xerxes was reigning, and then a friend, a family member comes and updates him on the condition of Jerusalem, and his heart was broken. He wept in his sadness, and he prayed. Many in this room and online have wept this week and have prayed for God's comfort. Might it be valuable to recognize that the only place we can actually find peace and comfort is in God's presence? So after he had prayed, he was still sad. Does that surprise anybody? Is he prayed, but he was still sad. Maybe we understand that. He was so sad, in fact, King Artaxerxes noticed and asked him why. Because the scripture tells us he had never before been sad in Artaxerxes' presence. So Nehemiah took a risk and he shared his heart with the king and he said, the place where my people are from lies in ruins. Now you might go, he's a pagan king, why would he care? Because God's hand moved the heart of a pagan king. And once again, we see a very similar scenario. Nehemiah is sent by King Artaxerxes back to Jerusalem, and he gets a visa gold again. And some really cool letters to give to all of those that were ruling in that area. Hey, King Artaxerxes says, help Nehemiah. We're going to learn they weren't very happy about that. But Nehemiah was on a mission from God to rebuild the walls and gates to make Jerusalem secure for the worship of the one true God. God's call on us is to continue proclaiming that message. Somebody said to me this week, as they knew I was preparing for this message in this season as a church, they go, how appropriate is it that the message this week is on rebuilding the walls? Many of you don't know me, but I'm my own crazy. You can pray for my family. But my response to them without much filter is our walls as a church are not destroyed. We are feeling pain. We're feeling heartache. But the walls are not torn down. Nehemiah traveled a great distance to get to Jerusalem. But when he got there, he took a minute. He surveyed what it was that lie ahead of him, and then he got busy. Nothing about that was easy. Might it be as a church, we survey where we're at and what God would have us to do next, and then we get busy doing it. Same call, same God. Now, Nehemiah was human. He experienced weariness, lies, attacks. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plains of Ono. Now, I'm not sure it's actually pronounced Ono, but I kind of like that. Oh, no. They wanted to meet with him to distract him, but they were scheming to harm me, Nehemiah writes. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. Maybe it was Facebook Messenger. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. 
Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Don't you love that response? Why would I stop doing what God has called me to do to come mess with you guys? That's the Rick translation. But here at South Rock, because we are called of God, we are God's people, we are carrying on a great work. The teaching and preaching of the gospel message, and we will remain resolute in that mission. And if Rick Wheeler were standing here right this minute, he would say, keep fulfilling the mission that God has always called this church to be about. Keep sharing the love of God and keep loving South Rock Christian Church. Now, it's easy to say that, not really. It's maybe not so easy to hear it. Well, how do we do it? Nehemiah chapter 6, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. How do we remain on mission? How do we heal? How do we move forward? It's imperative that we do that with the help and the strength of God. In our pain, confusion, anger, sadness, we continue to seek God's peace and wisdom. Now, the stories are different. Our enemies are not named Sanballat or Tobiah or an Amorite nation. Our enemies are fear, cynicism, doubt, division, hatred, distraction. These things will harm the bodies of Christ, the body of Christ, in ways that are much more damaging than if enemy soldiers came through the doors. Why? Because they're subtle. And to a certain extent, we feel justified in them. But God calls us to an overcoming faith. And when we read of God's work through Nehemiah, there's overcoming there. The walls were rebuilt. The gates were back securely in place. And then what did they do? They turned immediately to the Word of God. Nehemiah chapter 8 says, On the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly made up of men and women, he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and women, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Did you catch what it said? From sunup till noon. Does anybody want to go to church that long? You might go, uh, no, I'll pass. Because if you go past about 30 minutes, we're worried that the Methodists are going to get to the buffet before us. <laughs> Maybe you don't ever worry about that. But the word of God, truth, written by the hand of God, they listened and they responded. I want to say as clearly as I possibly can, this pulpit in the days, months, years until Christ returns will continue to be a place of the proclamation of the living God. That remains unchanged. The elders here are praying and seeking God's direction in what is yet to come. And I know without a doubt they would desire your prayers for that. And Rick Wheeler would encourage us to be praying along with them 
and for them. So as you read on in this story, Malachi comes onto the scene. It's the last book in the Old Testament, a little bit of foreshadowing there. Now, if you didn't grow up in church, you might call him Malachi, that's okay. Nobody's going to be offended. But he comes onto the scene, and God's people had begun to return to God, but they weren't fully lined up yet with God's plan for them. So Malachi comes, and in the third chapter, this may be a familiar passage, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. We're not going to talk about tithes and offerings today, but notice, please, in that first sentence, God is unchanging. Isn't it good news God's not like us? If God's emotions were like ours, we would all be like a smoking hole in the ground because God would get irritated with us. He would send lightning from heaven, and that'd be it. But God's not like us. Our emotions, however, are like the Kansas weather. Now, I'm a Kansas boy through and through. If you don't like living here, can I just kindly suggest you move? Because it's going to be summer and winter and spring and fall, like in a 14-hour period some of the time. That ought to be in the brochure. Dear immigrant, if you're moving to Kansas, expect these things. And our emotions are much the same. We, as people, we drift from God because so much of that is our feeling. But might we today pause and consider how we line up with God's will for our lives and for this body of believers? Jesus said, the path to follow me is narrow and few will find it. Are we going to choose that path? There's some really great news here in Malachi. We can have Malachi. Chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who revere my name... The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. God is our source of healing. That's the only place we can be restored and made whole. And it tells us in God's word, as that healing comes, we will leap with joy. Now, the part of this that makes no sense, unless you're like in the farm world, is we will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. You go, I don't even know what that looks like. I'll probably get on TikTok and, you know, don't waste your time on that. Just imagine calves leaping around in joy because they're released. This church will, in the days to come, leap with joy again. It's our only viable option. Lean into God, seek His face and direction, be healed and restored. Rick Wheeler and I had breakfast this last Wednesday. It was a meeting amongst friends. I would not be serving today in this role if it were not for him. Seeing something in me I could not see in myself. I might be just a burned out youth pastor or selling insurance or something, 
but because God spoke into him and he spoke into me, I have the privilege of being here today. He's been a friend and an ally for 18 years. And there is mutually shared grief, he and I, and in this room. It feels a bit like a grave. But I've shared many times from this very spot that our feelings can be quite misleading. God's love is redemptive, not punitive. Forgiveness is commanded by God, but it does not alleviate consequences. Forgiveness acknowledges that we all fall short of God's glory, and a relationship with Him is the only way that we can be made whole. But as most of us can testify, that is not instant, it's not all at once, and it's messy. There's a lot of temptation in this season to ask questions that honestly have no answers. There's a temptation to speculate and to flat out gossip. This is not how God wants his people to live. So bottom line, speak words of life. Speak words of life over Rick and his family. Speak words of life over our elders and our staff and their families. Ephesians 4.29 tells us to speak only, which is a small word with a lot of meaning, to speak only what is helpful for building others up. Now, I've been joking in the counseling office for a number of years, I would love someone to invent a Fitbit, or I'm a Garmin guy, you'd like whatever you want, that tases us right before we say something stupid. Anybody want to buy one of those? I did have somebody in the office go, can I get one with two batteries? <laughs> so speak words of life in any and every way possible in this room, outside of this room. Ah, it brings wholeness. Secondarily, pray for God's glory. We're in the midst of pain and sorrow and grief. God is glorious even in the midst of that. Ephesians 6.18 says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. This season as a church, might we be even more diligent in prayer for wisdom, for healing, for wholeness. And then last bottom line, be the church. I'm so thankful that in this COVID season, we've had online available. And I know there are still folks that it's safest for them to be home. But probably for the vast majority of us, it's time to come back and be the church. To worship and serve alongside one another. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
One of the things I love about having been here this long, and thank you all for the paycheck for 26 years. I don't know how a guy this young can have worked the same place at 26 years, but you do the math. But for me, times like Christmas Eve service, it's a family reunion of people I actually like. Think about that for a minute. Family reunions, sometimes you go, I don't love my family. But the church family, for many of us, has become as or more meaningful than our blood relatives. And so there's encouragement in those seasons where I get to see kiddos that grew up here, and now they're raising their own kiddos, and they're coming back, and they go, whew, thank you for loving me when I was in middle school. And some of those were harder than others. But to be the church says that we acknowledge the church is full of messy, broken people. A friend of mine last Sunday overheard somebody walking out the door, and it is not my intent to call anybody out. But they said, well, I guess we're going to have to find another church now. Okay, go find another church if you're not bitter and angry. Because you take bitter and angry to another church, you'll just be bitter and angry someplace else. But if you go find another church, make sure it's a Bible teaching church and know that somebody's going to hurt your feelings there. You will be disappointed and disillusioned anywhere because it's full of people. And one out of one of us is a hypocrite. Would you agree with that? We say one thing and we do another. So being the church doesn't mean any of us are going to be perfect. That's impossible. But in the midst of our imperfection, we love and encourage and support one another. You know what would be cool? Unlimited Visa Gold. But beside that (laughs) is if I got here next Sunday and I'm talking with our elders or I'm talking with Rick this week, which will happen. And I heard any one of them say, you know, our email, our text, our physical mailbox is blowing up with encouragement. Oh, that'd be the people of God. And if you can't say something nice, don't. I use this word very carefully, but shame on us if we would speak in a judgmental, ugly fashion about anyone. Because our sin is just as offensive in the nose of God as anyone else's. So speak words of life. It's kind of fun that we've been in the story for a while because you get a sense of the flow. And last week, we studied about Esther, apparently this really beautiful Jewish gal that in spite of her fear, prompted by God, risked her life and the Jewish people were protected. It's a story of faith in spite of uncertainty, and God moved in it. This week, we've talked about Ezra and Nehemiah and Malachi and how he worked in their lives, and he wants to do the same thing in our lives. And next week, I'm pretty pumped because we're wrapped up the Old Testament today, and next week is literally Christmas in June. It's the Christmas story and the Messiah. We know he's come, but next week we're going to read from a perspective of he's coming. And there's hope and there's healing in that. And God's story for this church and for each of us and for Rick and Susan and their families, that story's not done being written. 
here in just a moment, we're going to begin singing, and it's the same song right before the ball guy came out, is it's graves into gardens. Maybe it feels like you're in a grave, not because of church stuff, but just your own personal journey, and our feelings are loud. But even if we're in a literal grave, God specializes in taking us out of the grave and our lostness and our brokenness and making that into a garden. And God's garden got no weeds in it. We're trying to grow a garden at our house. Eh. 89 cents worth of tomatoes, a lot of work. But a homegrown tomato is pretty powerful. But it doesn't happen overnight either. I wish I could buy tomato plants with tomatoes on them. Now, somebody did tell me once they have them, but they're like $20, so that'll never happen. But I plant, and I water, and then there's fruit and the harvest. The planting and the watering and the harvesting for us as individuals and as a church continues. There are folks standing at both these decision points, and like everybody else in here, they don't have all the answers. But you might walk through that door in either of those spots and go, I'm just a mess. Well, congratulations, we all are. Let's pray about that. You might be saying, hey, I I didn't even know Jesus loved me that way, and I want to know more about that, and you would literally pass from a grave into a garden today. This is a day to do business with God because it matters. Let's sing. Please stand with us.